Well, Kiora, good morning. It's amazing so many of the wonderful things that are happening, some of what we heard this morning and then the other things that we would consider tragedy and horror that's going on around the world. Um, Linda and I have many dear friends in France um, that are leading churches and in fact one of the key leaders over there, I emailed him and he said he was flying into Paris this morning to minister and um, do, you, do you know what I end up thinking about so much when all of these things are happening and, and going on and as much as our hearts and sympathy go out to the people, especially the ones we know always but all the others, I think a lot about New Zealand's national anthem. And just a tremendous prayer. I hope sometimes you read the whole five verses of it, not just the two that we sing. And I know we're messing with the flag at the moment and there's all sorts of issues around that, which is fine. Let's never mess with the national anthem. I believe that has been a prayer that has gone up to God for a hundred and what, 20 years or more now. And uh, we could ill afford to ever touch that and and see that. So uh, I think of it again, that uh, how safe and secure we are from so many of those things that are happening around the world. So I hope we don't, we uh, continue to make a stand for it, but also we read it, we pray it, we sing it, and we cry out to God through the wonderful verses that have been penned through it. Amen. I want to pick up from where we've been flowing a little bit. Um, this morning when I speak about uh, trying to say really that everything that God requires from us, he empowers us to achieve. So he's not just saying you have to do this and you must do this and you better look out if you don't do this. But so when God is, when we read God's word, and I mentioned this last week, why one of the reasons why the Bible has revealed Jesus' commandments is so that we do them and that it assures us we're empowered through the new covenant to do that. And we looked earlier in this year, I hope it was this year. It might have been the end of last year. Time goes so quick. But we looked earlier in this year on the example of Moses. And remember how um, Moses tried to free the people from their oppression and his own strength, killed a guy and ended up running off into the desert and lived in there for 40 years. And after 40 years, he has an encounter with God. There's a great place to push pause right there. We need an encounter with God. I'm not talking about the first one you had when you came to know him as fantastic and necessary as that was. We constantly need at times in our life to have encounters with the living God. And so Moses has this great encounter with God. And here is Moses, we remember, let me use the word, as being so feisty. Uh, in his early life, and God commissions him and says, hey Moses, I'm going to send you back, and you're going to free the people, um, God's people, from Egypt. And Moses says, I could never do that. And he just lists all the reasons why he could never do that, and he couldn't achieve that. And one of the things that God has to show Moses is, no Moses, you're not going back in your own strength. We saw the results of that. This time, I'm sending you back. 
And with my calling comes my enabling and my empowering. And I'm going to give you everything you need to finally see the people set free. And that's the same applies to us. So in Deuteronomy 30 verses 11 to 14, we read this. This is a commandment which I command you today, that for this commandment which I command you today is not too difficult for you, nor is it out of reach. That's a statement about God, not us. His commandment is not too difficult, nor out of reach because of who he is in our life. It is not in heaven that you should say who will go up to heaven for us to get it for us and make us hear it that we may observe it. Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say who will cross the sea for us to get it for us and make us hear it that we may observe it. But the word and um, John chapter 1 tells us Christ is the word. The word is very near you in your mouth and in your heart that you may observe it. And so here's the essence of life. It's right here. When we come to a place of salvation, the first thing that should happen, because for most of us, probably all of us, we come to a point of salvation. And by the way, if you've grown up in a Christian home or whatever, for many times people like that can't name the exact point of salvation, and that's fine. That's wonderful. It was just a nice transition that went through your life. But for those of us who didn't, most of us, when we come to a point of salvation, we not only see the glory and the wonder and the majesty of God, we see a God that was calling to us when we wanted nothing to do with him. And to me, that was the remarkable thing. All the things that I had said about him, which were very negative after my wife came to the Lord, And as a practicing atheist and all those things, I realized that God welcomed me with open arms when I was doing everything I could to push him away, to mock him, to ridicule him and his people and do all that. Yet God was waiting there for the open arms to welcome me as his son. That is amazing. That breaks down a lot of pride, I promise you. It really does. A lot of pride gets broken down at that point. But out of this should come a great passion to follow God's design for our lives and to bring glory to him. So, well, if this is who you are as God, not only do I want to serve you, I want to do things for you that will make your name and your purposes and the things you're endeavoring to do on earth to make them happen. And so more people can stand alongside of me and just go, wow, how amazing is our God. How incredible he is. How wonderful he is. We can call people to say, come and bring your life to him. You will never be disappointed. You will know disappointments. You will go through difficult times, but he will not let you down. You will get to the end of your life and say, wow, what a great life I have had. And then discover as you get to the end of it that that is only another new wonderful beginning. Isn't that fantastic? So, one of the things that uh, I am challenged by in the Western world anyway 
is that we have tended to design our walk with God along the lines of our own nature, our own world, and the things and our own goals and our own achievements. And I sit with many people who uh, have walked with the Lord for a lot of years now and have gone through a lot of changes and different things. And often I hear them say, this is what I'm doing and this is where I'm going and I'm right now I'm just waiting for God to bless it. It's going okay, but I'm just waiting for God to bless it. And my question always is, and I do ask this question, by the way, can you come up with some good reasons why he would bless it? Well, yeah, sure, because of this and this and this. Yeah, 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 sure. Look, we can have those conversations. There's so many wonderful people around us that don't know Jesus. And by wonderful people, I mean wonderful people. And we can have those conversations with all of them. It's not the way it works with the kingdom of God. See, we're expecting God to bless our choices, and I know there may be no sin involved in them at all. We're expecting God to bless our choices and our way of life, but they're not based on seeking first his kingdom. And the only way God's power flow really flows, a lot of grace is given, but the only way God's power flow really flows is when we have gone before him him and said, Lord, what are you doing on this earth? Why did you bring me onto this earth at this time? And what do you want me to be doing that lines up with what you're doing to create your glory on this planet? And God knows even watching the news last night how much that is needed. We talked last week out of Ephesians 3 that God primarily uses the church to demonstrate his power, his goodness, and his plan on this planet. And that Romans 8 that says the world cries out for this to happen. Let me share something with you that most people in the Western world thinks a blessing. And I want to say to you, it's completely neutral, but it happens. See, we live in a capitalistic society here in New Zealand and in most of the Western world and where we're connected with. And without doing a lesson on economics, this is basically how a capitalist society works. If you have a job or a business or whatever and you work hard, you'll make money. If you spend less money than you earn. And if you are fortunate enough to have an investment, have a surplus, and you invest it wisely, you will do very, very well. Now, I want to say this carefully. That is not your barometer from how great God is blessing you. That's just how the system works. I'm not talking about people who are sinning like drug dealers and all that. I'm talking about my neighbours and your neighbours. They may understand the system very well. They are wonderful, righteous citizens who are a joy to have around, and our neighbours certainly are. Now, if they work the system to the point that they work hard, 
earn money, spend less than they earn, invest any surplus wisely, they will do well. And we tend to sit back, put our feet up, and by the way, congratulations to everyone in this room who's done that, and you should be doing that. And we could give a lesson on stewardship, which I'm not going to today, and saying there's some of the things we should be doing. But congratulations to you, but don't put your feet up in your lounge room and say, my, how God has blessed me by showing all the products of living this way because your neighbors lived the same way and did it as well. And some of them may have done it better than you and me. And it is not as a direct result of God's blessing and the way God wants us to be living and moving and acting in Christ. Now, Let's try and pull this back. See, God's blessing on our life, and this is what we take home when we leave this planet, brothers and sisters. This is where in Matthew 6 it says, store up treasures in heaven while on earth. God's blessing on our life is you will accumulate blessings in the next life on the basis of all the things you did in my name for my benefit and for my glory and used the power I've given you and the health and the well-being I've given you to further my kingdom. That's what you and I take off this earth and nothing else. You can't take your money with you. Do what the scripture says, leave it to the generations to come. That's a wonderful blessing to do, providing, of course, you've trained them to use it properly. See, it's not hard. I was 28 years old before I became a Christian. I had a freehold home and a freehold business. I didn't own a dollar to anybody in the world. I had thrived under the system, and I did not know Jesus. In fact, I was cursing him in my speech and my mouth. But my father had trained me how to make the system work, and I wasn't dishonest in my dealings either. I was not. And it worked well for me. It just had nothing to do with Jesus, that's all. So we've got to measure our success by how have I fit into the story between Genesis 1 and Revelation 22 and what am I doing that's producing fruit for God and that's extending his kingdom or showing his kingdom in the way of every aspect of life so it can make changes in society and we are empowered to do this. And by the way, we will get blessed along the way personally as well. Jesus promises that. And Matthew 6 does say that you won't want for anything around needs. So there's all sorts of promises about his blessing. He loves to bless us, but that's not why we're here. So many of you know, and I've picked this story because you know it so well. Many of you know Luke 15, the story of the prodigal son. And he gets his share of inheritance, so suddenly he's doing well in a capitalistic system. He's got a whole pile of money in his pocket. And he runs off and spends it up and lives high. And he makes a fatal mistake in the capitalistic system by spending more than he is earning. In fact, the scriptures suggest he's not earning anything. Suddenly he wakes up, all his money is gone, and he gets a job feeding and cleaning pigs. 
See, I believe this tells us that the conviction of the Lord has come upon him because the scriptures say he comes to his senses. And in coming to his senses, he remembers what it was like living at the Father's house. I want to ask you this morning, do you remember what it was like once living at the Father's house? Do you remember a time when you were on fire for God? Do you remember a time when you were so crazy about your encounter with God, you would do absolutely anything for him and you wouldn't care what the people thought? Do you remember when you were so overwhelmed with his love and his presence that when you got here on a Sunday morning, worship just burst forth out of your being. You would sing, you would dance. Sometimes people would run round and round. We weren't in this building. Sometimes people would run round and round the room and their excitement and enthusiasm for God. Do you remember when you would open his word and you just couldn't stop reading it, you devoured it as it went inside of you and devoured you. Because if you do remember those times, and they're times that have now gone from you, you're only one step away from having them back. Only one step away. There's not some big um, marathon journey to do. You're only one step away, and that step is to say is to repent and say, "Father, I've left you. I've let you drift. I've become commonplace with you. I've taken you for granted. But now I'm coming to my senses, and I want to come back to that special place, and I want to live there for the rest of my days." So the prodigal son, wayward's boy that he is, he doesn't expect to be received back as a son. But he says, well, if I'm going to be a servant and crawl around amongst the pigs, I might as well do that with my family and my father. And so he goes back there. And see, this is a problem, and this is what we shared last week. Sin blinds us. We see the Father in the wrong light when sin stands between us and him. We get a whole wrong perspective of his character and who he really is. And remember we talked about uh, last time, you're behind in the rent and the landlord comes round, and he may have come round to bless you. But because of your guilt, you see him in the wrong way and you hide under the bed and he knocks on your door and then he thinks, well, no one's here and he leaves. And he could have, could have been saying, not only am I going to forgive you this month's rent, here's some money to go out and buy your kids and yourself some groceries as well. But sin puts a different perspective on how we see the father. So the son's trudging off back home, knowing that the father is going to be angry with him and knowing that he's got so much to be ashamed of and just going to say, hey, I'll just be your your hired servant. But look what happens, verse 20. So he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Whole lot of stories around all of this, what his father does. And his father breaks all the rules. It is very undignified to pull up your trousers as a male of high standing in a Jewish community and go running down the street. You don't do that. 
His father does all these things, falls on him and starts kissing him all over his neck. And the son says to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hands and sandals on his feet, and bring the fattened calf, kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. See, it's it's just so amazing. It's his son. Don't dare ask to be a servant. God will welcome you back as his son or his daughter. That's the place he always wanted you to be, and that's the place he will place you, and he will keep you there if you stay within his boundaries. I love the scripture in Isaiah 13. It says this, Therefore the Lord longs to be gracious to you, full stop. I am going to read the rest of the verse, but right there, the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Isn't that amazing? He's the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and he longs to be gracious to you and to me. And therefore, he waits on high to have compassion on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. How blessed are all those who long for him. He waits on high, waiting for what? waiting for us to turn our face towards him, to cry out to him, Abba Father, Jesus, my life belongs to you. Help me get back to the place you want, you always intended me to be. That's what he's waiting for. He'll do the rest. As we come nearer to God, we see clearer. I need to watch my time, but it amuses me reading Isaiah. And in the first six chapters in Isaiah, he is indignant and offended about Israel and the way Israel are are living. They're full of idolatry. King Uzziah has just died. He'd reigned in Israel for 52 years. Wonderful king, wonderful man of God. And suddenly in a very short time, the whole place is going to pack. And so Isaiah walks into the temple He's still in his place of mourning about the king. But while he's in there, he has an incredible encounter with God. I encourage you to read it. I don't have time this morning in Isaiah 6. This incredible encounter with God. And the Spirit of God fills the place and uh, smoke fills the temple everywhere. And, um, you know, everything's going on. So you can just see the holy, holy, holy. You can just see this whole thing. And Isaiah just falls on the ground and says, well, woe is me, I'm dead. I'm a man of unclean lips and I have walked into a place of holiness and the presence of a holy God and I'm dead. I have nowhere to go here. Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Here's the difference that took place. Isaiah was constantly crying out to God because all the people were sinning, but he'd left himself out of the equation. He hadn't included himself in the equation. Suddenly, he has an encounter with the living God. And who does he see differently? Himself. 
And as he sees himself differently, who else does he start seeing differently? The people around him. If we get in right relationship with God, we will see ourselves very differently and we will start to see the people very differently around us. And instead of saying, they need God and God, you need to do this, we will start saying, we need you, Jesus, come and cleanse us and empower us and send us out because left to our own resources, we can't do this. So all his prayers change. And everything about him is changed. He suddenly realizes that he and the people are nothing compared to the holiness of God. But what he also sees is it is the holiness of God that God is using to work with him and his people. And that was God's intention right from the start. So when we see the holiness of God and the power of God and the fire of God, should we fall to our knees in awe? Yes, we should. Should we break out into worship? Yes, we should. Should we be in a place where we don't know what to do with all of this? Yes, we should. But then we need to see that God has put all of that or made all of that available to us as his people, his church, to go out and change the things that most people only get to complain about. Amen. So we say, well, there is our God and we are on his side. And to do this, God makes us clean. So it says that then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, behold, this has touched your lips and your iniquity is taken away and your sin is forgiven. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and whom will go for us? Then Isaiah says, here I am, send me. See, when we come to God and we have such a revelation and an encounter with him that we know we are unclean, that we know we have nothing to offer, that we know that our life doesn't cut it, it doesn't measure up. We have fallen far short of the glory of God. And when we come and when we confess that, what does God do? Does he pick up his big boot and grind us into the dust as miserable sinners? No, what he does is says, you know, that's true. I am now going to touch you and make you clean. And I am going to put you in Christ. And I am going to give your life purpose and meaning because it's going to line up with mine and I'm going to give you power and grace and love and mercy and insight. So I have some needs and everything in our heart responds and we just say, here I am, send me. Now here's the change. No longer do I say I'm nothing but a rotten, unclean sinner. I wouldn't volunteer for anything, God, because I could never achieve it. He's saying, no, 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 Bruce. We've dealt with that. We've dealt with that. You're washed clean. Now you're in Christ. You're in the powerhouse. 
with the community of people I've put you together with, because this isn't about an individualism. You're now in the powerhouse. You're now working together with me and the brothers and sisters I've connected you with and all those things that we're seeing out there. We're going to go out together and change them. Don't do this unclean thing on me anymore. I put my son on the cross and watched him suffer and die to deal with that. Don't discount that. Walk in righteousness by all means. And by the way, I will empower you to do that by my Holy Spirit. But we've got work to do. Don't sit there wallowing with the pigs. That's not where I've called you to be. I've lifted you out of that. I've given you a robe of righteousness. You are my son. You are my daughter. And now go and change the world. See, we need to see who God is all over again. But the last thing we want to be doing is trying to put Jesus up on the cross all over again. He did it once and it was enough, brothers and sisters, to leave you and I washed clean and clothed in a robe of righteousness. We all want to be doing amazing miracles. I know that. And they're fun and they're incredible. And it's all very wonderful and it's a part of the kingdom of God. But it's not the essence of it. And I want to suggest this to you and I'm finishing up. See, it's one thing to get out of the boat and walk on water. I'd love to do that, by the way. It would be an amazing feeling. Which Peter did. But it's another thing to walk with God on dry land under the pressures and the difficulties and the challenges and some of the other things that come against it. And it was on the ordinary streets originally where Peter failed until God could commission him to do what he called him to be. So here's where I want to finish up. We have spent the last three, four weeks saying, If we are in Christ, we are washed clean, we are empowered, we are being made a body of people who can change the world. We need to walk righteously. We can do that in Christ. We need to be able to say to the devil, you have nothing in me. We can do that in Christ. We need to face down the things that are Uh, uh, debilitating us and crippling us and sometimes it's sickness and disease and suffering and all of those things and we need to cry out to God for his grace and for his mercy in those situations. We need to serve people. One thing that I do know in my time of journeying with God, it says that we minister to the poor. We all have a turn at being one of the poor. I'm not talking financially. It may or may not mean that. We all have a turn at it. So we all get the opportunity to minister to others. Here's where I want to finish off because we have a lot of work to do and God's chosen us as a privilege to do it. Hosea verse, uh, Hosea chapter 6 verse 3 says this, Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going forth is as certain as the dawn, and he will come to us like the rain.
like the spring rain watering the earth. Nothing less should satisfy us. Father, we call on you again today to come to us. Like the rain, like the spring rain that waters the earth. Lord, we have just planted a huge amount of seeds on the lawn outside. Lord, Lord, as the rain comes, we will see those seeds grow. We will see grass come up and it will look magnificent. Father, that's what you've intended for our lives. So, Lord, let the rain come and water the seeds that you've invested in us. And may we produce a wonderful crop and bear together as a community of people who love their God, worship their God, and do great exploits for him. In Jesus' name, amen. If there is anybody who has drifted away, uh, I just encourage you, see one of the leaders, see the person you came with, talk to somebody around you uh, about bringing yourself back to God. Remember, you are just one sentence away, which is, Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, reinstate me. Thank you. God bless you.